Do you want to connect with the gifts of your soul and embark on a spiritual path that has meaning for you? Become your own mystical muse with the help of Elena Chapman in this illuminating podcast. Listen in on thought-provoking conversations that will help you discover meaning and fulfillment in this chaotic and harsh world by blending modern scientific understanding with the teachings of ancient sages and spiritual masters. Conversations that will help you find your special gifts and gain insight into the spiritual world's countless advantages are coming your way. And they promise to be enjoyable, open, and free of judgment. Let's start this enlightening journey with your host, Elena. So, Tim, I am so happy to have you on the show. And as always, I always ask this. So what was it that got that kind of woke you up into your own spirituality that just was so big that you said, wow, and it's just it took you on a different place in your life than what everybody had told you? Okay, well, I mean, my first really powerful spiritual experience was when I was an undergraduate at university. I was in Peterborough, Ontario, attending uh, Trent University, and um, it was uh, in my fourth year, um, and I had uh, previously, the year before, staged a play production about... um, William Wordsworth, uh, the famous English poet called The Rainbow Comes and Goes. And um, it was uh, quite successful. And in the last year, my honors year, the fourth year of my Bachelor of Arts degree in a joint major in philosophy and literature, I was um, experiencing kind of... um, coming of age crisis, a kind of rites of passage type uh, experience. Um, And um, in Korea, the shaman is called a mudong, and they usually go through what's called um, a a shinbyong experience, which is um, a kind of crisis, crisis experience where they undergo a kind of spiritual sickness. And that that experience kind of happened and um what happened i mean how because you know a spiritual sickness inside i get what you mean but let's explain it a little bit further what how what kind of what would you expect to be a true transformation i would say it was what carl Jung described as an individuation experience which i had gone through over the course of many years in in high school i was rebelling and um not Mm -hmm. um really being um uh proactive when it came to studies i was um uh, going through this um rebellion phase and it was so that i could you know, um, bring out my individual um, identity, Um, the individuation um, process that Carl Jung described. And so anyway, it was um, culminating in this kind of spiritual malaise. And um, I was feeling very isolated, very alone. And um, at that point, I um, laid back on my bed and closed my eyes and I actually saw Jesus Jesus and he was wearing the crown of thorns and he had blood dripping down from his temples on both sides and it kind of forked in a V pattern on his two cheeks and his eyes were shut and I was feeling afraid that he would open his eyes and see me because I, I I just didn't feel worthy. You know, I just didn't feel worthy of him gazing upon me. And, um, I mean, from my, my own spiritual and religious upbringing, he's the, you know, the, the quintessence of, um, the most powerful form of spirituality I could ever confront, right? It was kind of overwhelming. 
Right. And we've always been taught we weren't worthy. So yeah, that would totally coincide. Totally. So I had this thought come into my head. The world will look after you. There's no reason to despair. The world will look after you. And um, at that point, I looked out the window and I found that the houses on the other side of the street seemed to be um, uh, alive in some way, that they weren't actually just, um, you know, mortar and brick. They were living and breathing um, organic and and, oh, and, cool. and pulse, pulsing with life. And the the light emanating from the windows of the house were rather like the signs of sentient life, like the, the shining eyes that people have in the night when their eyes are open. You know, it seemed really palpably clear to me that they were a, a living and, and, and breathing entities, you know. And, and so I felt very comforted by what I was experiencing and thinking at that moment. You know, what it reminds me of, well, number one, my own awaking was similar, but with, with trees and I, I felt them lean in on me and I felt, you know, and the insects walked around me like clockwise, all of them not touching me. So I had that same and the hawk. I mean, I, I felt that world thing, too. But it brings me to that. Um, have you ever read box book, The Illusion, Illusions? I'm sure you have. It was, he wrote uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel and he wrote yes. two books called Illusions. And the Illusions yes. talks mm -hmm. about that with how nothing is as it seems and you awakening to the fact that matter vibrates, matter is alive, matter is, that is incredible. And that, that the world will take care of you. I mean, this is big that, when, and me, it was more in nature, but it was the same concept. We are all one. They feel what I feel. I feel what they feel. It is a total, we are all of one and we take care of each other. And so I think that is cool. You both, you kind of had the same kind of reawakening I did a little bit. So where did that lead you? Well, I mean, Jesus said, um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and only through me can you come to the Father. But in this sense, um, me seeing him before I had an experience of the Holy Spirit is basically what was pervading all things. I mean, from right. a panth pantheistic standpoint, God is infused in all living matter and everything, and I could feel it. I mean, I could see it um, and um, experience it. And you know, it, it, it was a sensory experience um, and, and yeah. mixed with a, a spiritual awareness. Yeah. Very cool. And so it kind of led you on to the journey. That was your awakening. And then you just sort of kept having things that brought you closer um, with with all of that idea and the the Christianity aspect of it. How did it change you? into further, you know, furthering the Christianity in your life or turning another way? Which way did you go? Because that's a crossroads kind of idea. Well, in, in the initial stages after this experience, I was very um, passionate um, about the, you know, scriptures, at, which I had read over the course of the summer. And um I think I was guided to read them at a point in my life where I could properly understand them. And um, I, I started essentially preaching to my friends who had come over and I wasn't really thinking of myself as a preacher or someone who was, you know, trying to teach them anything. It just spouted, it just poured out of me. I, I couldn't help myself. And, um, they were quite stunned. I mean, they really were struck by it and it left a lasting impression on them. In fact, one of them ended up becoming a devout Christian himself. And um, I uh, didn't stri stick strictly with uh, Christian um, 
you know, uh, religion and Christian teachings, I branched off and started exploring other religions. And I tend to be that kind of a person. I synthesize things. I try to find connections between things and then synthesize everything and try to have an all-encompassing view of, of everything and see how it all relates. So that's what I really ended up doing. Yeah, what did you, when I, um, uh, I don't, I don't think I, we talked at another interview and I don't ever think I spoke about how um, I was very fortunate. I was raised Catholic and I went into music. Okay. Um, when you go into music and I did sing, yes, I did that too, but mostly I found my love in conducting. I love it. There, there's just a ego high when you can be among all those beautiful people and all you have to do is move your finger and the whole sound <laughs> changes. <laughs> and it's so yeah. cool. It's so cool. Yes. But yeah. Yes. So anyway, and I was kind of known also in the churches because for some reason I could make a choir sound really good and I could solve any conflict really quickly. So I always got these problem childs that I converted into beauty. And so with that, I ended up in many religions. And I um, learned a lot about the religions that I was in. But I think I always found myself finding the ultimate truth. And didn't you find in every religion that you researched that there are fundamental truths that align them all? Or did you not? Oh, no, I totally concur with that. I think the Buddha and um, Jesus, um, in terms of their dharma, their fate, their destiny, and their overall purpose are very similar in so many respects. Yeah, the more I, I mean, study, I see that, that love is really the key of everything and um, love and compassion and acceptance. Uh, what did you find? Yeah, I agree with that, certainly. But I also found that they were both royal princes and they both lost their, you know, rightful caste position because of, you know, the injustices and the persecution associated with the caste system in both of their cultures. And um, uh, and they both um, ended up uh, experiencing a kind of non-attachment and a... Uh, uh, and, and a liberation from that. And so I think yeah. Jesus teaching about salvation is very similar to Buddha's teaching about liberation, to liberate oneself from material um, attachments and desire, which only leads to suffering. And then you achieve a nirvana state. I love this. And right now in our culture, there is this, uh, I don't know if you know this, you probably do. You're very well in tune. This thing about desire and not desire. There are so many that say you must have desire. You, I mean, look at we make a whole self-improvement um, movement in America, and I'm sure in Europe too, on know what you want, go after that passion, go after that desire. And then you have the other side. And this so that says, wait, no desire, no attachment, and that is true freedom, and that is the kingdom. So when you, but then there was, oh my gosh, wait, 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 who was the philosopher who said that to desire not to have desire is a desire? <laughs> I yeah. like that. So how Indeed. do you attain that equilibrium how do you still function and live and want to have something to go for but not have that desire in your life and that is a good question for the show so what are your views on that that's a very interesting question and i have always been guided by what i consider to be the greatest philosophical treatise ever written uh, by human hand and that's Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching. I've always followed its um, guidance and, and uh, I find it an extremely right. liberating document. I mean, if you can live by that according to its tenets and 
and just go by that. It's a really good way to avoid conflict and and even within yourself to avoid conflict yes. within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talk you're talking about the Wu Wei, right? The the action of taking action, doing doing what is necessary, but letting it be, being satisfied with that, letting go the the outcome of it, doing it. Like he talks about the, I love the story of the guy who's cutting up the bird and, and he does it with such skill with the knife, but he is, when he's done, he's done. It's not like he holds on to, I want to be the greatest carver in the world, or I want to be, do you see? It, it's just yes. doing and perfecting what you can do. Yes, to become a master and um, not having any vanity in being the master, but just simply in enjoying the state of mastery. Yeah. Yeah. And really, and being satisfied with it. Not always striving for um, doing more, perfecting it, but doing it naturally, not with the ego. Really, it's taking out the critical mind. And instead, just letting it be, taking out the control of the issue, letting it be and just doing it. I think that's the Wu Wei. I love the, the Tao. It's how I, one of the things I first started reading when I was 18. I love the Tao. It's very cool. So yeah, it's, um, it's very, very, very profound and very helpful in terms of learning how to live. Yeah. Yeah. So and now. Now you, you've grown so much, and I'm sure you've gone through transformation upon transformation. Where, do you, where have you been going with your, well, I'm sh God, I'm, I bet you had little aha moments and, and Phoenix rising moments throughout your life. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm a Scorpio, so Scorpios are <laughs> like the scorpion. Um, they regenerate themselves after suffering an injury and somehow, um, yeah, rise like a phoenix out of the ashes of their former self and carry on um, after going through some some kind of fire, trial by fire. Um, yeah. And do you find that you really... Um I always, when I go through, well, anything, I always see the spiritual meaning of it. I'm sure you do too. And, and it has transformed me into the person I am today, whether that's good or not. Um, yes. I, I've always looked for the higher reason, which always tends to be a spiritual one for me. Uh, so how right. about you? Very interesting. Well, I mean, I, um, wanted to come to um, the Philippines to unite with my fiance who I got engaged to at Christmas period of 2019 and we'd been separated for all those months because of the pandemic restrictions oh, on travel yeah. and everything so I had to get out of Canada before the vaccine laws for traveling yeah. were enacted yeah. And I um, had to sell my house and 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 basically get out before all of the stuff um, hit the fan. So I ended up um, going um, and just hoping that I would make it. And um, I didn't. I got stranded in San Francisco airport. They Philippine airline uh, manager wouldn't let me on board the flight because I oh, did no. not. No, I didn't have a visa. And at that point in time, you actually needed a special visa to gain entry into the country because it was not open yeah. to foreigners that. who were of non-Filipino uh, ethnicity. In other words, you could be born in the United States as a Filipino, but you'd be able to travel there because you'd have family ties there and you could justify your visit. But as a foreigner and I wasn't yet married, I couldn't convince anyone that I had a right to go to this country. So I got stranded in San Francisco. And like that um, film, The Terminal, I was stuck in the airport for five days trying to figure oh, out wow. a plan. Wow. 
I didn't yes. want I didn't want to go to a hotel in San Francisco and spend a fortune because I was, you know, relying on my credit card and I just didn't want to create unnecessary expense. So, yeah, it was a bit of an ordeal. And um, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, it's yeah. not fun to sleep in an airport. <laughs> I've done it. No. It's not fun. <laughs> no, not for so, that long a period. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And so you act, but you did make it eventually. Well, I had to um, do something. Um, I, I actually had a friend of my um, now my wife at that point, my fiance, um, a family friend in Los Angeles, rescue me by letting me stay in her guest house um, for a month. Wow. Well, that's yeah, she's. Cool. She was a dear. She really was. Yeah. And um, yeah, just one of those people that's there for you at the right time. And um, so that was kind that's and um, yeah. and uh, much appreciated. And uh, I um, then decided that I didn't want to impose on her um, kindness and hospitality for too long. So I um, put a little email out uh, feeling the airwaves to see what people had to say about a place for me to go i i was thinking about florida and then this one um let's just say a friend by correspondence but not ever i had never actually met him in person he was a fellow shakespeare scholar and um he was a Baconian, meaning that he thinks that Francis Bacon wrote the Shakespeare plays. And <laughs> yeah. it's much more it's much more complicated than that. And yeah. he's not really seeing the whole picture, but he's done a pretty good job of what he's done. Um, the Earl of Oxford wrote the plays and Francis Bacon edited them and they were just briefly, I'll just say they are the Tudor princes. They were both illegitimate children, changeling children of Queen Elizabeth I, and they were farmed out to other aristocratic families to be reared while remaining wards of the court, which means that the court paid for their rearing and upbringing. And um, okay. so, wow, I yeah, did not no, realize. Yeah, yeah. No, he 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 could. Um, probably have done it on his own, but um, the Earl of Oxford has a huge contribution to the, the Shakespeare plays. I mean, it, it, they're so biographical in nature. He led a larger than life existence and had numerous adventures and misadventures and a life of scandal after scandal. And he was very colorful. And so it's, largely drawn from his life and the philosophical and scientific knowledge is infused in the plays through Francis Bacon as well as the literary knowledge from all the European literature he was steeped in everything basically he was kind of a renaissance not kind of he was a renaissance you have man. a lot of very cool colorful people come in your life that's neat and then he helped you to get to your fiance correct well, he helped me get settled in La Paz, Mexico, and um, that's where he was um, living. And um, that was a, an interesting place and an interesting time because, well, many things went wrong. I did have an online business teaching, but um, I had an accident with my computer. It fell and that caused me to have to rely on an old laptop and um the yahoo mail and gmail didn't recognize my ip address so they put me through security uh, measures that meant that they sent a security code to my defunct dead phone in toronto and so i couldn't <laughs> retrieve the security code so i got locked out of my yahoo account yeah yeah all this <laughs> you had trial and tribulation did you ever look at this whole adventure and see a higher sense to it uh, a rebirth of you in some way 
Well, I was trying to make sense of it because I had had a very successful period of five and a half years in Toronto before I embarked on this journey and my whole life crashed and I wondered why. And I knew that there must be a reason. And I started asking myself the question and well, there was something deeply spiritual about the place La Paz. I mean, it means peace, right? So right. And, and it, it was a place of reflection in a peaceful environment. And you do a lot of thinking there. Yeah. And and so I believe that. Good place to be. I believe that it served many purposes. One was that I was meant to go in a totally new direction, maybe in a, taking up writing instead of relying on teaching for a livelihood. Um, I've always been a writer, but I've never made a living from it. So it was um, maybe um, just driving me to um, to to. Um, go in that direction. Now, um, I still haven't managed to make money from writing, but I, I maybe will through the royalties of the various books that I'm going to be publishing in the next uh, yeah. while. It is funny because uh, I'm always looking, like I said, I always look for the spiritual meaning. When I do, then I'm rebirthed. But I'll tell you, sometimes it comes when it's supposed to come. And and the writing, I, I write books too. You don't make a lot of money from writing, but not anymore. We used to, but not anymore. But it is wonderful to write. And I do think people do love books. But landing up in a place of peace where you can do, that's very that's very interesting. That it all led you to a place where you could do the inner work. Um, I find that very fascinating. I always find it very fascinating that, um, I don't know, there was a time in my life when I had the, um, well, I had two roads, roads to choose. I could, there was someone uh, during my divorce, who knows, but they were making life this incredible illusion of paranoia, um, questioning yourself, not trusting yourself, and not trusting what you see, not trusting what you hear, not trusting other people. And when you're in that world, it's a, it forms a paranoia. I could fall into that world very easily because it was an everyday, three times a day occurrence. So it's almost like a throwing you in to a world. And that's where I learned the power of illusion. And I learned that life is an illusion. And what you create in your mind, because I sat down that night and wrote the three to five things I wanted my little boys, because I had boys that were nine, seven, and five. What did I want them to think about family? What did I want them to think about themselves? What did I want them to think about life? It wasn't this world that I was being presented with and that they were being tossed into. I had to form a different reality for them. And it was really funny that I saw that I actually could do it. And it didn't erase that other reality, but it showed me the power that I didn't have to live in it. And I think that was one of the strongest lessons I've ever learned. I learned that life is truly an illusion. So when I um, learned that, that's when I know I can alter it any way that I see fit in my own world, you know, how, by how I see it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Plato believed that the world was an illusion too. And so did Shakespeare. I mean, let's look at the Shakespeare play, The Tempest. Prospero conjures yes. up a whole illusion that they all end up living uh, on an island and, in in yeah. essence, that's what the bard himself did. He conjured up world after world of illusion with all these characters on the stage that were living all part of the illusion. And um, so what you have is the lines, um, we are so tough as dreams are made of, our little life is grounded in a sleep, um, right from the play. That's yes. a famous yes, passage. Yes. Yes, it is. And it is. Um, it is funny when you 
understand that, what can you do with it? You know what I mean? What can you do with it? If you know that life, I've, I've heard that term so much too, on top of the Shakespeare, that life is a play and we are all the players. Um, or that it is an illusion. If you follow the book of Illusions by Bach, if you look at that, you see that anything can be created out of dust. You just have to create it from you. Everything comes from you. And doing so, now, there begs the question, I put it in my mind. I get myself all believing in this. And then I walk out the door and everyone says, reality hits you in the face. But I mm. think, well, and, and I've heard that term over and over. But the thing is, you have to step forwards with firm, you have to be firm. Even though reality might be hitting you in the face, you give it a chance, it changes fast. It takes it a little bit slower to work, but it works. That's what becoming is. That is how we achieve anything in our lives. You have to become before it happens. I don't know, what are your views on that? Yeah, um, I, I, I think that, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you just live it as if it's a, a nice dream, take it in stride and try not to take it all too seriously. Just enjoy it. Um, obviously, you're going to passionately believe in a project that you're working on. That's fine. Just don't get in so deep that, you know, your life is over when it's over. You've got to be able to have some detachment. Yes, I think the detachment's funny. So where are you now in your spirituality? Where are you? What 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 do you see as what do you want to attain? If anything. Well, in in La Paz, I basically came to a point of um you know um relinquishing all attachments. And so, you know, I didn't really uh, mind if nothing ended up happening, if none of my dreams that I had entertained for years and years came true, it just no longer mattered. Nothing mattered. Um, that was liberating, I suppose, because the alternative is taking it all too seriously and then committing suicide because you're in a state <laughs> of despair that you can't pull yourself out of. And that yeah. didn't seem yeah. like an option. Um, no. Not that I was... <laughs> Not that I was contemplating suicide in any serious no. way, but I'm just saying it, 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 it's you go one way or you could go the other. Right. Yes. The polarity. Yeah, that's true. It is um, extremely freeing because if you it, I, I have that detachment in my business. I mean, yes, I love helping people and I love like they say, if I help one person, I'm over the moon. Do I want everything to get bigger? Well, of course, if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it's not supposed to. Same thing with my boys. When I was, um, when I was mothering, I at one point actually cut the cords. Have you ever done that practice? I do that every night. I just cut the cords off of me of the day. Just let it all just go. Whatever it was, it's off. And I decided with raising my kids, I was too involved in their outcome, meaning I was still the equation in what they were doing. So how they acted reflected on the family. What they did, I would get called upon. And I started thinking, wait a minute, it's not about me. I don't want it to be about me. It's, I don't, I want to be it to their lives to be about them. So I cut the cords. It was the best thing I ever did. When I cut the cords, all of a sudden, if my child needed something, nothing reflected back to me. It was the child needed something. If the child was having trouble in school, it didn't reflect back at anybody. It reflected, how do I get that child to where he needs to be? What, does, what is his path in life and how can I assist? It changed everything. When you're watching a sports game, it wasn't, it didn't matter to me 
It didn't reflect back on me whether he played badly or well. But what it did is I wanted him to play the best he could. So whether it, it did awful, but he made one good kick, that's what we would say. That is awesome. And, and how did you feel about that? And if that's the way you want to go, then do more of that. It was all about him, not me. And I think when we understand how much our attachment to things actually makes us so personally responsible for everything in a really funny, quirky, not right way, instead of giving with our hearts to it. And I think that's Wu Wei. It's giving our hearts into the process and loving the process, but not owning it. And I really that's think right. that is the whole Wu Wei way of living. And so, you know, I, I really think if all of us understood that, my God, our anxiety would go down to nothing. <laughs> you know, we would yeah, just. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's a powerful. So I commend you on that. And the three books you're writing now. Yeah, well, um, they've been written. Uh, they were all about COVID. One was about the science and the pseudoscience and what's the real science to the whole thing. And that it looks at the virus, the vaccine and the various um, responses in terms of lockdowns and shelter in place and mask wearing and social distancing and all that. Um, what is the science on that as well? And is it, you know, um, yep. from a cost-benefit analysis, was it all worth it or was it uh, damaging to the point where a cost-benefit analysis shows that the actual measures that were taken to fight it were far more worse and far more destructive than the virus itself? That sounds like a good book. That sounds like a really good book. And I think you have valid points there. I, I think it would be interesting to see the science. And I think it would be very interesting to see the costs and, that we had in our society, especially on kids. I do think there was a lot of damage on um, kids, especially young kids. So, yes, I, I'm very interested in that book. You've done a lot of you do a lot of science. You do a lot of how do you find your science helps you in your spirituality? Do you? I, I do for me, but what about you? Not really, but I do believe that science should be God responsive. And I think that certain philosophers and scientists in history were God responsive and others weren't. I see Francis Bacon as certainly being God responsive. And um, he does define is, God responsive for the viewers. Because they well, might not. I mean, well, I'm just simply having God as being part of the science as the opposed to being an atheist that disregards God entirely and thinks that, you know, um, all of the science can be explained by accidents of nature. Um, there's either a guiding intelligence to all of creation or there isn't. And, um, it's up to the individual scientists to, to decide what they want to believe. But I, I think that there ends up being a problem if the end, um, the teleology or the telos or the end goal of things in the world is not the creator, because where are you going? <laughs> what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Okay, are you yeah. going to end up with a godless science that does godless things or are you going to do something that honors and respects creation and uh, is in harmony with it? Con conscious co-creation. Do, do you think that if people um, or scientists are uh, not of God or more atheists or more other whatever they believe, and they still have a respect for life. Do you think? Do you think that's possible? And oh, for the creation of life, certainly. And they may have in their 
you know, consciousness, some kind of governing principle that's guiding them. They may call it something other than God, but it's like a, a governing principle that guides their work, um, some kind of ethical principle or um, aesthetic principle that guides their work. And I do think we've lost uh, in science that line of valuing life. And I've seen it, but we've lost it in society too. What was, who said that with, um, when you desensitize people to animals, the next step is you desensitize them to people. And I forgot who said that. I'm not good with remembering names, but I remember the line very clearly. And we've been desensitized by steps all along the way. And so now this is the ultimate. This is the ultimate desensitizing and it needs to go back. We need to understand that life is life and that we have to value life and taking a life to support a life is not right. And, and it does come back to that. And it's religion, and, but somebody who may not be on that path of religion, but has their own understanding, that has to be, that's the most basic fundamental thing that everyone can agree on. And we've just crossed the line. Yeah, well, we've I crossed mean, the line, big time. But so you have. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, probably we all need to engage in correction for different reasons at different stages of our life, and I probably will have to engage in correction to get myself off of um, meat because um, you know it's it is cruel to animal life to you know rely on this food source and and i i i have been a vegetarian at at one stage when i was living in the uk but um it didn't last and i'm gonna eventually go back to it i'm sure (laughs) i was much more much more spiritually pure and um without any anger or without any um, sign of violent temperament when I was a vegetarian. So obviously it was having some effect on my consciousness. And I also wrote probably the greatest literary masterpiece that I'll ever write, um, which was a very highly spiritual work um, that it kind of flowed out of me. It was almost like a channeled work. It did not, I mean, obviously there was some intellectual um, application in the writing, but it's just, it just flowed. And um, That's how it, it's reads, it reads That's like true. that. It reads like a- What's it a called? Flow. What's it it's called? called? It's called the Symphony of Time. And- um, Oh, I love that. It was really, um, a parody of Frederick Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra. That's how it started out. And uh, it just uh, ended up doing its own thing by the end. Um, I like that. How can people get that book if they're interested? Because that sounds fascinating. Well, it got published years and years ago, but um, it just uh, didn't get proper representation it was uh one of these um you know publishers that charges a great price and then doesn't do anything to promote it or distribute it or get it out there so it just died a death and um i'll have to republish it um that's all i can say yeah i have um a really reasonable person that can um help get it up there they just got one of my books up there i was very pleased and they're getting my Audible book up there. So if you're interested, and it's not a lot, I'll give you the name. Because something like that, that is like channeled and flows, and that is profound. That's the stuff we need to have. So I would love to read it. Yeah, I think you should get it up there. Well, I had so- an Indian Indian friend that led listened to me read passages from it, and he told me to stop because he got frightened. He said, this is prophecy it's frightening i can't i can't stand it stop so i had to stop (laughs) well i'll brave it how's that (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I'll oh. I'll send you a copy, yeah, for sure. Oh, um, thank you. So uh, before we leave, what's on your next journey? What is, where are you going spiritually now? Do you have any place? Are you happy where you're at? What is in store for Timothy Watson? Yeah, just so everyone knows, I go by the media name Timothy Spearman, but um, it's not like uh-huh. I'm hiding it's who fine. I am. Or it's it's right. fine. It's not a, an issue. I don't I don't have any worries about you know uh, people finding out who I actually am. I uh, I just use this pen name because it kind of expresses my work. Um, you know, Timothy Spear man, because I am the spear man in the sense that I do a lot of Shakespeare research. Yeah, and, yeah I get it. I and love I'm quite, I'm quite inspired by the fact that it's a pen name derived from Pallas Athena, who is the patron of the theater in Athens, Greece. So she shook ah. her spear at the twin serpents of ignorance and vice, because when you're educating the masses through drama, you're chasing away the serpent of ignorance and the serpent of vice. Yes. Yes. And wouldn't that be nice to do in life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shaking, uh, shaking a Spear became the name of one of my radio shows. And um, yeah, it's a kind of uh, inspirational motif for sure. Yeah. So I'm so- always shaking a Spear at the Twin Serpents of Ignorance and Vice. And it's something I did in a former lifetime and I'm carrying on. You know, we carry on with certain things from lifetime to lifetime. Don't we? Isn't that interesting? I know. And I think we we evolve each time in the life. And we, you know, bringing up reincarnation, I found that I actually, non-knowing this whole life was to fix a life that I had in, um, I think, the late 17th century to the 18th, because it ran totally parallel until a certain point in that life i ended up very cold and bitter and in this life i broke away and i ended up who i am which (laughs) remains to be seen but it really did start out with the same family dynamic of being the daughter of a, a man who does very well and being a, like the favorite daughter or not, I was the only daughter both times, but being a, a, a what, a, a daddy's girl. And then, but, and being respected for who she was and her brains and everything else. And then it came to a certain age. No, you have to marry. You marry for alliance more than anything else. And how she was married off to a cold man in that time. And she got very bitter. And this time I broke away and that time, and that is fixed the bitterness and the coldness I had in that last time. I do think without even know it, knowing it, we actually sometimes are here to break something that stuck with us in our soul. And I find that incredibly, very fascinating. And I think, yes. I had one guy in one life. I waited for the sailor forever at the Baltic Sea. I was a healer. And um, it when I decided um, I wanted to meet my soulmate and he woke up that same morning and said, I have to get ready. I find that fascinating. And then we dated. And yes, he was that whole scene started to come back. And I still can talk to him about anything but we were not meant to be in this life. Isn't that cool? But it, it is very interesting. Yeah. Past lives fascinate the heck out of me. I do think we are an ever revolving soul. Yeah. So. It's uh, clear to me as well. I do see that. Yeah. Well, I do want to say, I, I think you are a very fascinating man. I think you are an extremely intelligent man. I think your journey is just really starting to bloom more and more and more. Just keep going. Just keep going. There is so much more. And I do think that um, you, yeah, I look forward to writing, I, reading your books because 
I'm very fascinated by it all. So yes, I thank you for being on. Your spiritual journey has taught, I think, a lot of people a lot of lessons today. I thank you. Well, that's very good. I'm I'm glad and I'm thankful to you. And uh, I, I learned a lot by listening to you and um, the lessons that you've learned as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, stay in touch, please. I certainly will. And um, I will... Um, do as you asked I'll send you a copy of the symphony of time i would love that i would love that i would very much appreciate that i will have jody reach out and, and give you my address okay oh I, I i would just send an electronic copy to you um i don't have oh, the i have a hard copy but i i end up, ended up revising it and 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 um uh, basically uh putting out another version um and so i i want to do it justice by sending the updated version i would love that thank you and for everyone if you are interested in learning more about timothy spearman he is all over the internet is there a way that they do you want people to contact you and where can they contact you if so yes at present um I, I, I'm not a very good techie, so I have had problems with my email. <laughs> and so currently I'm using Timothy Watson Philippines at gmail.com. Okay. All right. And for everyone out there, you know, we all have different paths and we all are on a spiritual journey. And I think the best thing we can do is to realize that and allow our growth to lead the way. When we do that, then we find that we become more than we ever thought we ever could. And I think that's the whole gift of life. Namaste, everyone. I'm so glad you joined us. Thank you for listening to this episode. Let everything you take away from this conversation strengthen the inner compass that will lead you to a life of greater meaning. For more episodes that will take you deeper into yourself and bring you closer to the gifts of your soul, visit elenachapman.com. Learn to manage today's society full of meaningless distractions, unchecked chaos, and deep societal divide with the help of your mystical muse, Elena. That's it for now. 